Right. Have you got your Bibles? Yep, 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 yep. Okay, let's go to, uh, let's turn to, if you can, please, to um, Psalm 120. And we're going to, we're going to start a new series um, this morning, which I am just so, um, if you, can you go back, Simon, to the, uh, so we're going to start this new series, Discipleship in an Instant Society. And um, partly, we, we wanted to look at this because we are longing for revival to sweep through our nation. We're longing and longing to see a fresh move of the Holy Spirit coming and working. And we see it. We just see little bits of it time and time again. We see God moving again. And you hear reports about what God is doing. And so what we want to do now is to try and how do we position ourselves so that we are open to everything that God has for us? Everything that God has for us. And so what we want to do is how do we, how do we become disciples of Jesus in a very instant society. Uh, we're going to read some, uh, some uh, Psalm 120. There are three words in there that you might not know. Uh, one word is sojourn. Uh, can any, I have not a clue. Anybody tell me what sojourn means? Well, apart from Manuela, because Manuela always gives us the right answer. Anybody else? Pardon? Uh, no, no. It's travel. You're going on a travel. So Manuela says exactly. So it's obviously right. So it, we'll read in there. It says it's going on a sojourn, it's travelling. And then there's two other words, Meshach and Kedar. And they are just place names, so you know. They are places. Meshach is a place on the Black Sea, and Kedar is a place in the Arabian Desert. In the Arabian desert. All you need to understand is that they are a long way apart from each other. And basically, it's demonstrating the different places that people who were in it, the Israelites lived. They lived someplace. They were scattered. They were spread all around the place. Is that okay? Yeah. Psalm 120. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? And what more should be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell amongst the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace. But when I speak, they are all for war. <laughs> like you're thinking, oh, what on earth has that got to say about discipleship in a modern instant society? Well, we're going to try and unpack this. But before we do that, can I'm not assuming, by the way, that everybody here is a Christian. I'm, I'm assuming that we're here because you may be a Christian or you are a Christian or you might be interested or you're on a journey to a Christian faith. And that's great. That's fine. But can I just ask you, for those of you that are Christians, when you gave your life to Jesus, what were you expecting? Peace and love. For some, some people I know, I think we just, we understand it's the right thing, but we don't actually know what to expect. I know there are some people in the room who they gave their lives to Christ, and do you know what? Their families disowned them. Some people counted the cost. They said, okay, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And then the next thing is their family said, well, okay, that's it, you're out. 
We don't want you. We don't want you to be in this family if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. You, if you've got a Christian family, some people may have celebrated. So if you had a baptism, you would have hoped that some people have said, yeah, well done, that's really good. But I wonder what else people would have expected. I don't think that everybody that you know would spontaneously start applauding. I suspect if your friends are like mine, they'd have just been indifferent. They'd have said, yeah, whatever. Okay, if that's what you want to do, it's fine. Bit of skepticism, thinking, have you just got caught up in some cult? What is it? Where do you go every Sunday? What? And then when I tell people that I get about giving money, okay, that's when they think, yeah, well, you're definitely in a cult now. You're definitely in a cult now. <laughs> but what do, what do people react? And, and the, the, my point of asking that is that I think that we swim in a cultural sea that really does erodes our faith. That we swim in this, in this world where people are not celebrating and pushing us on and saying, yes, go for that. Love Jesus. When we were in worship earlier and like the, the guys were playing and I just thought, oh, the Holy Spirit is here. And there was a, I almost just wanted to be in that moment for more and more time. Yeah, Jesus, just come and fill me again and again. But the world doesn't encourage us to do that. Last night, for my great sins, and please don't judge me for this, in our home, we watched Britain's Got Talent. It wasn't recorded, was it? No, okay. So, no, okay, well, well, no, I've got to. But we, we, watched, we watched Britain's Got Talent, okay. I don't, I, that's the sort of the epitome of the program that I really dislike, okay. I don't really like it. However, Jill really likes it. Becca was watching, and where's Cynthia? Shame on you, you were watching it as well, okay. <laughs> So we're just going to really name and shape. They, the three of them, they were really loving it. And I think, but I just need to let you know that one of the acts, and this is a bit of a spoiler, was, was basically 18 men who were strippers. That is... Manuel is saying, I'll watch it later. Now... I just need to let you know, we live in a hugely sexualized culture and we don't even realize it. And that, 18 men stripping off, is now family entertainment. We don't even, and we don't even recognize that there's something not quite right or there's something in our hearts that thinking, I don't really understand it, but the culture that pervades over us is almost too strong for us to be able to say, no, that is weird, that is wrong. And I just need to let you know, a few years ago, Jill and I and the family, we, we traveled out to, over to Zambia. Are there any Zambians here today? Okay. Well done. Because when I went to Zambia, they swim in a different cultural sea. There was, I, I, I think I just saw there was nobody, well, I didn't see it. Okay, you may be able to give me a different perspective on it. But I didn't see all the adverts using sex to sell things. There was just, it felt like it was a slightly purer sort of like culture. It felt like there was a different perspective. And I think it's because they've held on to their Christian roots far better than we have. But they weren't using sex and all these sorts of things to sell things. It was, I felt it was a slightly better culture to thrive in as a Christian. And there are, there are lots of things in today's culture that mitigate against us having a real faith. We want to do everything really quickly and we want to do loads of things and we want to do it now. 
Like I've just upgraded my phone, so now I have 5G instead of 4G. Yes, come on. Yes, get in there. I don't even know what it means. I don't. And then somebody said to me, oh, it doesn't mean it's any faster. And I think, well, what's the point? They just said, oh, it's more reliable and more stable. And you think, oh, I don't know. And if you go to somewhere you've got Wi-Fi that's going down or it's intermittent, you think, oh, my life is going to fall apart. How can I live without Wi-Fi? Even faith, even in faith, I tell you, it's easy. It's relatively easy to go up to somebody and say, look, Jesus loves you. He's got a plan for your life and he knows you. Do you want to give your life to Jesus? And it's not overly difficult to get people to say, yeah. What is very difficult is two years down the line to see them still worshipping Jesus and giving their lives to him. That's the difficult bit because we want everything right now and we want it instantly. And in this book that, um, can you just go on to that quote by Eugene Peterson? Um, uh, the next one. Okay, it says this. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is nothing, trust me, there is nothing wrong with a religious experience. Earlier in worship, it was a religious experience. That's what I want, okay. But it says this. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for the long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. And all I'm saying is that sometimes for us, like church has just become like a, like a leisure time activity. You know, we, if we can fit it in, we'll definitely be there. It's like, it's like going to the gym. I think sometimes as church, you know, like my mistake is that we can make it, we can try and make church more and more attractive so that we get more, so we attract more people in. So we think, oh yeah, if we can make, if we can make Trinity better, then more people will come in. And you end up playing a game that you cannot win. What is the point? You can't compete with all these other things. And we never should be competing with all of those things. Okay, I have never quoted Friedrich Nietzsche in a sermon before. Okay. Does anybody know who Frederick, Friedrich Nietzsche is? Philosopher who, um, he is, I did a sociology degree. This is probably the first time I've ever used my sociology degree. Okay. Uh, existentialism. Basically, the understanding that you can be anything that you want to be, that you are the master of your own destiny. You are the captain of your own soul. You determine who you are, and anything you determine, that is what you can be. It's utterly godless. <laughs> utterly godless. Because you are right at the beginning. You are right at the, the center of your life. That's what you build your life around. However, he got one thing right, and he said this. The essential thing is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience. In, and he got that sense of like a lifetime of discipleship will actually be the thing that gives you results. And that is what I want to do more than anything. I want to give my life. And that is, sorry, just so you know, it, it's the title of Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I would so, so recommend you have a look at that book. It's an absolutely uh, brilliant book. But I don't want to... I don't, you know, I don't want to just be a flash in the pan. I don't want to sort of like come in and think, oh, this is really good. I want to have a lifetime of following Jesus. And I also know that in my role as leading the church, the one thing that I can do above anything else is not try and make a church that is nicer and happier and better for you, 
But the one thing that I can do above all else is I can follow Jesus with all of my heart. And then if you want to come along as well, that's great. But if we can have a church where together we're saying we are just going to follow Jesus. That is the thing that the world tries, tries so hard to discover. That's what the world tries to beat out of us all the time. Now, just go from this to this. Can I just tell you, my attention span over the years has got shorter and shorter. I have, like, Apple News on my phone. There are so many times when I'm reading an article, I haven't even got the attention span to read to the end of the article. I just save it so I can read it another time. Do I read it another time? No, never. Absolutely never. But I'm just losing that attention span to, just to read a short article to the end. But I'm interested in it. It's bizarre. Everything's got to be so short and quick and instant. And yet, I want to be the one who's saying, I'm going to give my life to follow Jesus. I want on my, well, I watched, okay, slightly off piece. I, I was there when my grandpa died. He was the most extraordinary man. He loved Jesus with all his heart and soul and, and mind. He was like an obstetrician. He worked in hospitals all his life. And he, I was there when he was dying and he's saying, he was just calling out to Jesus. He spent his life having students in his home, you know, just talking to them about Jesus. He loved Jesus. And I want to, that was, I saw that and I thought, oh, he died a good death, you know. Even people thought he was going a bit doolally in the end and he was just talking to himself. He wasn't. He was talking to Jesus. He was talking to Jesus. And I know last week, um, Jerry talked about Caroline's dad, Richard. And just, and, and Jean, and it's just a lifetime of loving Jesus. That's why I, I want to be, hopefully not for quite a few years to come, you know, but I want to be like that. Right till the very end, a lifetime of discipleship. Um, where have we got to? If we want to know how to live our lives, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If we want to know what God calls us to in our life, it says this. I put, put this, found this picture. Uh, Simon, can you go to the next one? Clearly, it's the London Marathon today. Hebrews 12. Do you see what all this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, all our relatives in, you know, in years gone by that have loved Jesus and encouraged us, it means that we better get on with it, strip down and start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we're in. So that, that's, a, that's, that's an introduction. We're going to have a, a, like a, a sermon of two halves today. But I just wanted to say that is why we're going on this discipleship in an instant society. That I want to grow closer to Jesus for the long run. Did anybody ever sing, um, uh, do you ever have family songs in your car when you went on holiday? Just put your hand up. Jerry, you're smiling. Did you have a family? No, okay. Jackie, did you have a family song? Or did you just sing a lot? What was your favourite? The stuff. Okay. Do you, can you remember a favourite song? Okay, yeah, that goes on for about, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anybody else have a family favourite song that you went, that you sang on a journey? Becca, did you say hello? I want to say hello. Okay. 
We had loads of them. The Hanson family, we would put all of these, these things on the tape or on a CD and we would just sing them at the tops of our voices and we loved it. In fact, the other day we were going somewhere and there were a few of us in the car and we put an old, it was an old Toby Mac song. I don't know if you know Toby Mac, but we just used to love singing these songs in the car. Did you know what? That in ancient times, Jews used to go to Jerusalem three times a year. Can you, can you put that? Yeah. That's a picture of, of Jerusalem. Um, and did you know that Jerusalem is sat on a hill? So to get to Jerusalem, uh, Temple Mount, which is that bit at the top where the Dome of the Rock is, the, gold, the golden bit, you, have to go up, you always have to go up. You have to climb up all the time. And what the what Jews did, they used to go and visit uh, Jerusalem three times a year. They'd visit at the Passover in spring when they celebrate God's saving power. They'd uh, visit Jerusalem in Pentecost in the early summer just to recognize God's promises over their lives. And they'd visit again in, tabern in the tabernacle in early winter when they'd celebrate their identity as God's people. What they did is they had their songs in the car. They didn't have a CD to put it on, but they had these 15 songs that they would keep singing over and over again. And so when you look in your Bible, when you look at Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, right at the beginning of it, it's called the Songs of Ascent. Did you know? Have you noticed? But that's because they would just sing them as they were sort of like going up to Jerusalem. And they'd always sing these same songs, these 15 songs. So Jesus would have sung these songs because it said Jesus went up, off to Jerusalem. Jesus traveled down from Galilee. And it said the disciples would do the same thing. They would all be singing these songs, these songs of ascent as they went up to. And basically what it is doing is each one of these 15 psalms, they have a different theme. And they have themes that will really help us to walk close, more closely to the God. So Psalm 120, it's a psalm of repentance. 120, uh, the themes that are in these verses are God's providence, gathering to worship, serving people, God helping us in the midst of struggle, God's security, a song of joy, it's the Lord's work. Enjoy the blessing and revel in God's goodness. A song to encourage us to persevere. A song about obeying God. A song of humility and a song of unity and community. All of these things. And so what the, what the Jews would do is they would, they would walk up to Jerusalem singing all these old songs. Should we sing that one again? Should we sing the song of humility again? Yeah, come on. And off they'd go singing the song of humility. But this was the song that started it all. When they started the journey and it's a song of repentance. Can I just read, read Psalm 120 again? But I want you to read, I want you to understand it as this, that here is a guy who is utterly fed up in the chaos and the anger that he's living in. He's living in a context where everybody is having a go at him. Everybody is fighting. Everyone is saying, like, like being really cruel. And he's saying, I am fed up of this. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. He's not talking about his own tongue. He's talking about the people around him. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? And then he says this, what you'll get is a warrior's sharp arrows glowing with coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I travel in Meshach, that I dwell amongst the tents of Kedo. It's basically, woe to me, I'm just scattered everywhere. All the people are scattered around. Too long have I had my dwelling amongst those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. 
He's basically just saying, I am fed up of living like this. I'm fed up of living in this context, which is full of lies and anger and violence. I can't trust people. And he's saying, I want a different way. I want something that is different. I want something different from all this carnage and chaos that is all around me. And I want to say, say to you that, uh, just on to the next one, Simon, if you can. We have been, just so you know, we have been sold a lie. I know nothing about these people up here, okay? They, they might be incredibly nice, godly people. But I just, I typed into Google, influencer. Social media influence. So you might know. But I just need to know that, that a lot of the time we are sold a lie about what will give us life. And what will give us light and what will help us? We're sold a lie from advertisers. Advertisers just want to buy us things. So instead of telling us just to go and buy that, they sell us a lifestyle. If we have that car or that thing, oh, yeah, you will be this type of person. And the, the most bizarre thing is if you wear this type of perfume, you'll be this type. It's bonkers. If you smell like that, you'll be this type of person. But the thing is, we buy it. I buy it. We, all, we buy some of these lies. Influencers, we're, we're sold a lie from influencers. So if you have a certain number of followers and if you have a certain number of likes, that's it, you've made it. You'll be doing well. It's just, it's not true. We're sold a lie from entertainers and they'll say, look, you come to my show and I'll give you the most amazing experience. This will change your life. Well, it might be a distraction for a couple of hours and it might be quite fun. I've heard the Avatar show is very, very good. But it's not going to change your life. It's not going to make everything really different. Or maybe we're told that we're, we believe the lives of politicians. If they said, oh, if we get inflation down, then everything will be okay. You know? If we secure our borders, then everything will be okay. Or maybe we've, sold, we've believed the life of union leaders. If you stick out for this pay rise, keep striking, then everything will be okay. You just get that a little bit more, everything will be okay. Psychologists, maybe we believe the lies of a psychologist. If I can teach you how to behave like this and believe things like this, then you'll be okay. That explains a lot. Anyway, so <coughs> Maria just said that her daughter is a psychologist, if you didn't hear, which I think yeah, explains quite a lot. Or maybe, maybe we believe the lie of church leaders. Church leaders who say, just build the church. Just come on, let's build, come on, just build the church. If we do that, then everything will be okay. Or maybe you've been told the lie that if you just read your Bible, you don't actually have to obey it all. You don't actually have to do what it says in the Bible, but just use it as a guide. Maybe we've believed some of those lies. But twice in this psalm, it mentions God. And when you start to mention God, lies become to be exposed. And if we've been told that anything will make our life better and meaningful and more purposeful without putting Jesus as the foundation, trust me, it's a lie. It's a lie. Nothing actually is going to give us the foundation unless we have a life following Jesus and a life full of the Holy Spirit. And the truth is that God knows you, he loves you, and he's got a plan for your life. But that truth is based on Jesus, who came to the earth, he died on the cross, he, he, he died, he was buried, he was resurrected, and then he's going to come back again. And unless that is the truth in which we are building our life, nothing really is going to work. Psalm 120 is this. It's the turning point. It says, I'm fed up 
with the world and I'm fed up with believing those lies and instead I'm going to believe what God has said about me. And do you know how the Bible defines that? Repentance. That's repentance. That is the heart of repentance. So sometimes I think repentance is, oh look, I swore at somebody. I just need to go. I probably wouldn't swear at them, you know, to their face. But I said something or I did something or I thought something wrong. I just need to go and say sorry. That is repentance. But repentance, trust me, is so much more profound than that. Repentance is this. is saying, I'm not going to believe the lies of the world, but I'm going to believe the truth that God has spoken over my life. That is repentance. That is turning away from something and turning to the Lord. And that's what Psalm 120, this psalmist is saying, I'm fed up of living in this world. Instead, I'm going to turn to the Lord. Repentance is always the first point. Just go on to the next one. Repent. I always used to think repentance was just saying sorry. But fundamentally, it is saying sorry. It's saying sorry that I've believed all the lies that the world offers. And instead, I haven't believed what Jesus has spoken over me. John the Baptist said in Matthew 3.22, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said... When he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Acts 2, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Repentance is at the heart of the gospel. And in a moment, I'm going to like lead us in a prayer of repentance. Because you're thinking, how many times have I believed the lies of the world that I live in? I just all the time. Who I am, my value as a person, what life should look like. I've believed that I've, I've been taken in by it. And I think, no, Lord, I don't want to believe that. I want to believe instead what you have spoken over me. And I just need to let you know, if you are struggling at the moment, and you know there are lots of people that are really struggling with mental health. I totally understand that. If you are struggling, if you're struggling in your circumstances, if you're struggling in your situations, I really, really want, because I'm... I hope I'm quite a nice person. I really want to come up to you and say, oh, don't worry, God loves you, God knows you, and he's got a plan for your life. I want to say that to you. I do want to say that to you, but I also want to say to you this, you need to repent. You need to repent because you believe the lies that the enemy has spoken over you. You need to turn away, and I need to turn away from believing those and instead believe what the Lord has spoken over me. When, when, um, when Israel had this great moment of turning away from an old way and into a new thing, they, they left Egypt. Okay? They, they thought, okay, we're done with that old life. We're done with Egypt. And then they, Moses came and they went out into the, uh, well, they didn't. They went into 40 years of wandering. When they left Egypt, was life suddenly really easy for them? Well, no, they didn't obey God, so they wandered around for 40 years. But what I'm saying is that they repented. They turned away from Egypt, and then they said, oh, but now they just had to go back into, into normal life. And they, they worked, and they played, and they struggled, and they sinned, and they suffered. They still did all of that. 
But the difference was that they were going somewhere. They were going towards God. And you know what? When we repent, we will still like, play and work hard and struggle and sin and we will still suffer. But the difference is that we're going towards God. We're going towards what God has got for us. It's a whole new dynamic. And Jesus says, I want you to come and to be filled with my Holy Spirit so that you can say no to the world and yes to Jesus. Just to finish, and then we're going to just pray. And ask a question, how many people here have their, however you define it, your heritage in a different land? Whether you came from a different country or your parents came from a different country or something like that. Just put your hands up if you got... Okay. So I, I think actually, interestingly, it's probably nearly the... It's most people in the room. When you or your parents or whoever came over here, came to the UK, you came, for a per, you came for a reason, didn't you? You came because there was something where you, that you wanted to move out of. You wanted to move into something new. And I know there are many people who've left like war and violence and all sorts of things, but they've, they've left that to come into the UK to start something afresh. Well, every Christian who repents has got something of like an immigration story that we're leaving something so that we can step into something new. And that leaving something to step into something new, that is the fundamental heart of repentance. Can I just ask you to stand with me? I'm going to call us to a place of uh, repentance. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you feel that you have believed some of the lies of the enemy, that life should look like this, and that you've believed some of the lies of the enemy, and you're going to repent and turn and believe the lies that the living Lord Jesus has spoken over you. That, my friends, is repentance. That's turning away. And then when we have our hands raised, I'm just going to simply say, come Holy Spirit, that we would be able to lay down those lies and step into the truth of what God has for us. Now, if you're going to do that for the first time in your life, that is the moment you become a Christian because you're, you're repenting. You're turning away from lies and you're turning to the living God. And what it says in the Bible is repent and be baptised. Not today, but there will at some point come a moment where you've you repented and we need to baptise you that you can publicly declare what God has done in your life. I'm just going to ask you now, raise your hand if you have believed some of the lies that the enemy has spoken over you about what life should look like and how to flourish. Just raise your hands. Heavenly Father, 
we long to see revival sweeping through our land. We long to see the fire of the Holy Spirit burning brightly in London, in Collindale, in Hertfordshire, in every area that we live. Lord, we long to see the power of your Holy Spirit at work. We say, come sweep through us in revival power. But we know too that revival always starts with a repentant heart. When we turn away from the lies of Satan and we believe what you have spoken over us. And Lord, for all of us with our arms raised, we just ask, come Holy Spirit and fill us afresh. We repent. We repent. No longer will we believe some of those lies of the world, the flesh and the devil. <clears throat> but instead, we're going to turn to you, Jesus. We're going to follow you. We want to be the ones who on our last and final breath are talking to you, Jesus. We're following after you. That for us to live is Christ and to die would be gain. Jesus, we pray, come. Holy Spirit, come fill us now. Father, thank you. Yeah. So we could be. Come, Lord. Just going to ask the band to play something. We're not going to sing as yet, but I feel there's something of the, the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh. Yeah, Lord. Father, thank you. Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and minister to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and, and have your way in our midst. Holy Spirit, we invite you just to come and, and walk in our midst, to walk up and down the aisles, to lay your hand on us again. Come fill us with power from on high that we would clearly say no to Satan and yes to you. Come upon us, Lord. Oh, Jesus. shoulder and pray for you that you'd be filled with power from on high just encourage you to to come down there'll be a few of us down here that will pray for you
nowhere to, there's a vulnerability in doing that because you're recognising that you are weak and you need help. Well, trust me, it's a lie to say that you don't need help. It's a lie of Satan to say that you can do this on your own. And he will constantly try to isolate you and keep you away from people. And he'll constantly try to say, no, don't be vulnerable. But I think Jesus is saying, no, this is a, a new day. A new day of my spirit being at work in your midst.